Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're listening to DraftKings Network. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I f***ing love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that buzz the next. Big jab there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. Down goes Duffy. Oh, cold. Frank Mir does it again. Rock'em, sock'em, robots here. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe there are a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Headshot. Oh, good to be back in your respective lives. Episode 469 of the Anik and Florian podcast presented by DraftKings starring three-time UFC world title challenger Kenny Florian. Kind of feels good to be back in the home studio, if I'm being honest, right? I got my buttons here. It was weird being on the road in Boston. You get sort of spoiled by this studio. We've talked about sort of being a better broadcaster, or being a better whatever it is your walk of life is when you enjoy the space that you're in. I can't. I kind of miss the bells and whistles being in the home studio, kid. Dude, nothing like home. But I think it's always, I think the fans always appreciate the fact that we do a quick turnaround after a big pay per view like that. And of course, you were uh, open to doing that despite doing a cross country flight, right? Going from Anaheim all the way to Boston, doing the yeah. show from your hotel room, man. Much appreciated. And uh, it was a lot of fun. But yeah, it's, it, it just feels good seeing you back in your home studio. Well, give me all that Kemflow Sunday night energy. But yeah, we were sort of thinking Tuesday would have been a little bit too long to wait for our UFC 298 recap. So whenever possible, uh, we're going to try to get that content right out to you people because we know people are ravenous for it after the pay-per-views. 
So I can't turn my brain off after these pay-per-views. Like I could go back to the hotel room, depending on where we are in the world and 100% do a recap. The issue is, especially for uh, domestic pay-per-views for Kemflow, you're talking like 2 a.m. to air Eastern Standard Time, which is not ideal. But depending on Abu Dhabi or England, potentially, we may want to consider, yeah. uh, you know, doing some of those. How's everybody? So how is everybody doing? Great. All right. So we have a lot to get into today. I do want to talk a little bit about UFC 300. We also have a question. Who is the best UFC fighter, past or present, to have never held an undisputed UFC championship? So some thoughts on that. Uh, we will talk to President Awesome. Awesome Zadie. Karate Combat has an event coming up Friday night in Mexico City. And of course, big gun Brian Petrie on the back end. UFC Fight Night, Moreno versus Roy Vol 2 beckons in Mexico City, Saturday, February 24th on E+. We'll have predictions and place your bets coming up later. Don't forget, you can access this show on the DraftKings Network, also the DraftKings YouTube channel for full-length episodes. Clips can still be yours on the Anakin Florian Podcast channel. Watch parties, things like that are there as well. Also, don't forget, johnanik.com for all of your merchandise needs. 20% off everything with promo code One More Sleep to help launch our new One More Sleep authentic designs that are out right now. If it does not have my authentic signature in the back collar, it's not fucking real, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for supporting the show. And, uh, you know, we're trying to line everybody's pockets here, right? Staff, Will Berger, Cody Merrow, everybody that's helping us grow this show. And uh, the merchandise is a conduit through which we do that. So thank you, everybody, for uh, supporting and liking the show. All right. Alex Pedeta, UFC 300, Pedeta versus Hill. Tired of snooty wines and their old wine culture? Confused by words like malolactic fermentation? Yeah, we are too. So with 19 Crimes, you can do the fancy schmancy tilt-sip smell routine, or don't. 19 Crimes is the rebel of wine and culture, telling the stories of rogues and rule breakers who overcame adversities. From convicts banished to Australia, to the legendary icon Snoop Dogg himself, 19 Crimes wine is defiant by nature, bold in character, and always uncompromising. 19 Crimes, the official wine of UFC. Pick up in stores nationwide or online at 19crimes.com. Enjoy responsibly. 2024, Sonoma, California. So I want to talk about Alex Pedeta and what I believe is his superstar status already attained. And if you want to scale that back to star status already attained, then I'm okay with that. But Sometimes I think I'm too insulated to have opinions. And other times I think my insulation helps me forge opinions. And when Alex Pedeta walks out in Toronto somewhere, the guy's a goddamn rock star. When he was there for a guest fighter, UFC 297, I mean, you would think the president walked in the building, right? I mean, it heads turn and he's only got seven fights in the UFC. So I pushed out a tweet and... A lot of fans are responding as to whether or not they think he's already attained this status. Most of them sort of are acknowledging him as such. And there are a few different reasons why, Kenny. Some suggesting that maybe he's a skill-specific guy like Bo Nickel has really resonated with the fans. You know, come from being a really elite in one sport, it heightens intrigue. Also, people talking about just, you know, Brazilian Portuguese, right? It endears him to people because he doesn't speak the English language, even though it seems as though he acutely understands it. There are a lot of different reasons why Alex Pedeta has resonated with the fan base. And I think he's really worthy as UFC 300 headline. I mean, I, I think it's because he puts people to sleep. This guy is an absolute monster. And, you know, more than anything else, I, I think that and people forget about this. And, and perhaps not every fighter is able to be 
as featured as someone like Pereira. But the fact that you're able, if you're able to stay busy in the UFC, that is huge. That does a lot of your marketing for you. Now, uh, I'm not saying you have to be as active as Cowboy Cerrone was back in the day, but you think Cowboy Cerrone isn't a star because he wasn't like fighting four times a year for yeah. many years? I mean, yeah. that has a lot to do with it. The more you're out there, the more the fans get to see you fight. And if you have that exciting style and if you're able to put people to sleep uh, like a Pereira, then, of course, pe- people are going to want to see you fight more. And I think that's what he has going for him. Oh, and also the fact that he's a two-division champion. So um, he's a fantastic fighter. Very few people have achieved what he's been able to achieve in the short amount of time that he has achieved it. Yeah. it it's crazy. So, yeah, he's just he is that dude, man. He's, he's that badass that walks into a room, and he looks scary. He looks the part. That's a dude you do not want to see in a dark alley. Uh, he looks the part. He plays the part. And... Um, yeah, I, I I see him holding on to that belt for a little while, man. And that says nothing of the way I feel about Jamal Hill as the respected B-side in this equation, the former champion, not quite at the star level of Poetan for myriad reasons, but I absolutely think he can get there. And not unlike Pedeta, his fight style leads the dance, right? And he's even talked about this. Just let me go in there and throw hands. You know, imagine right. if Jamal Hill knocks out Alex Pedeta inside 10 minutes at UFC 300. Superstar status attained for him, but you're right. And I think I probably buried the lead when you put people away the way Sean O'Malley does, the way Ilya Topuria did this past weekend. It only heightens your status. And then when you couple in the activity, which has been a huge cornerstone of Alex Pineda's UFC career, there's just a lot of factors that make him the star that I believe him to be. Someone also pointed out that I believe maybe his girlfriend was actually married, allegedly. So that, I think, further endears him to people <laughs> that supposedly he was dating a woman who uh, who maybe was with another man. So there are a lot of reasons to love Poetan Alex Pereira, and the fan base really has gravitated towards him. Even the whole Poetan thing, you know, like my, my statue T-shirts in the mail. Like the dude's just got a lot of things going. And even if fans want to suggest that maybe Alex Pereira versus Jamal Hill or Magomed Ankalaev was earmarked as the main event for UFC 301 in Rio. Well, Pereira's talking like a guy who's going to headline both, and I wouldn't put it past him. And one of the best decisions he made was going up to 205, John. You know, this guy was killing himself trying to make 185 pounds, still won the belt and did it against Israel Adesanya, then moved up to 205. And uh, you could see he just, it seems like he has all the energy that he needed at 185 now. It's not like he's short on strength. He's not short on power. He's going to sleep you with that left hook or the right hand uh, regardless. But now I think he can bring all that energy at 205. And uh, I think that has a lot to do with it as well. I will say, though, he's still willing to kill himself to go to 185 pounds. He really is. For the Adesanya fight, to avenge that, I really think he would because he lost his last fight to Izzy. And when he won the 205-pound championship, what was the first name on the tip of his tongue? So you're right. I love right. him at 205. I love his ability to fight often and turn around quickly. But I just think it's interesting because, uh, you know, if you don't want to take it from me, you know, take it from your fellow UFC fans out there. 
And I think a lot of the media would subscribe to this theory. Like Alex Pedeta is all the rage with almost everybody I talk to about mixed martial arts. We'll see what he can do with the showcase. April 13th, UFC 300, Pedeta versus Hill. All right. Always a fun conversation for me. I wanted to ask Ken Flo this and some great responses on social media. Appreciate every last one of you. Who is the best UFC fighter, Kenny, past or present, to have never held an undisputed UFC title? Can be past, can be present, but it has to be somebody who fought in the UFC. So Fedor Emelianenko not necessarily gaining consideration here. Who is the best UFC fighter, past or present, to have never held an undisputed UFC title other than yourself? So for me, it's a guy that is already in the UFC and still fighting to this day. Uh, It's a guy that I cut weight uh, with back in the day when he was cutting down to 145 pounds. And I'm looking at him going, man, this guy's as big as me. How is he making 145 pounds? Well, that guy is Dustin Poirier. And, um, you know, had had some hiccups early on in his career when he was trying to figure out his game, figure out his style, figure out his weight class. Uh, Still has an awesome record at 29 and 8. But as I said, you know, a lot of those losses a little bit early on in his career. Now, let's go through the list of guys that he's a- actually beaten. Let's let's take a look at some of these names. Anthony Pettis, Justin Gaethje, Eddie Alvarez, Max Holloway, Dan Hooker, Conor McGregor, twice, Mike Chandler. These are huge names. These are very dangerous fighters. And these are guys that he has gone to war with and defeated. Um, and, and he's also been an interim belt holder as well, right? So, I mean, I, I think the guy's an amazing fighter. And when we talk about guys that haven't won the belt, we have to talk about a lot of things. Not only like, you know, uh, the opportunities that they've had, um, but the, the guys that they beat, but the skills that they bring into the cage. This guy is good everywhere. He's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. He's become a fantastic striker. He really has good wrestling as well. He knows how to put it all together. He's grown into that weight class. One of the bigger guys in that weight class now could maybe uh, arguably fight at 170 pounds now. Um, so, yeah, he's impressive. And when you hear all the guys that have trained with him or all the guys, all the coaches over at American Top Team, they speak glowingly about how well he does in the gym against everybody all the way up to 170 pounds. So um, for me, that's the pick, right? Just because of the full package, his skills, who he's beaten, the opportunities yeah. that he's had, the kind of uh, stardom that he has in the UFC. So for me, um, it was pretty straightforward uh, for, for Dustin Poirier. Largely for me, as to the best UFC fighter to have never held an undisputed UFC title, it yeah it comes down to Dustin Poirier and another former UFC interim lightweight champion, Justin Gaethje. And perhaps there is some recency bias here. Gaethje's long-term UFC resume, obviously, is not going to compare to Dustin Poirier's, but Justin Gaethje won a major title outside the UFC, defended it, I think, five times. Yeah. But what Justin Gaethje was able to accomplish against Rafael Fazib and Dustin Poirier recently, I do believe that at this stage of Justin Gaethje's career, he is the best version and certainly closer right now to realizing that status as the undisputed lightweight champion. Of course, if Dustin Poirier beats Benoit Saint-Denis, that's a massive win. But head to head, he just had the head kick knockout against him. I think Gaethje has a strong case. I'm not sure the answer isn't Marab Dwalish-Willie right now, Ken Flo, and maybe some recency bias there as well. But with 10 fight win streak in tow at 135 pounds, he could actually very easily be 12-0 and in the UFC. Hasn't fought for the belt yet, but I'm not sure that, you know, he isn't the best UFC fighter all time who hasn't struck undisputed gold. Can I throw some of these other names at you and see if uh, you want to wet your beak with any of them? Shoot. All right, so these are all the names submitted by our fans as to the best UFC fighter to have never held an undisputed UFC title. 
Dustin Poirier, Justin Gaethje, Yoel Romero, Alexander Gustafson, Anthony Rumble Johnson, Kenny Florian, Gegard Mousasi, Tony Ferguson, Dan Henderson, Gilbert Dorino Burns, Nate Diaz, Nick Diaz, Rory McDonald, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, Chael Sonnen, Colby Covington, Marab Dwalish Willie, and Zabit Magomed Sharipov. Mm. I like a lot of those names, man. I think that a lot of those names definitely make a very, very strong case. Um, yeah, I mean, geez, those are some great names. A few of them that I actually didn't consider. Which so like. Yoel Romero came very close. A lot of people feel like Anthony Rumble Johnson versus John Jones was the dream fight of all dream fights that got away and perhaps a pretty good matchup for Rumble. Zabit Magomed Sharipov retiring in his prime. You got to think at some point he would have found himself in a championship setting. Colby Covington had three chances, but when healthy to me, he's still... He's still elite. He really is. And so I like his inclusion in the conversation. You know, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson came close against Tyron Woodley one time. Rory McDonald, of course, deserves inclusion, as do the Diaz brothers for me. Dan Henderson was a popular selection, I think, and rightfully so. And for Tony Ferguson, I always highlight him as the first guy at 155 pounds, hardest weight class for me, to have gotten to a double-digit winning streak. And uh, nice to see some love out there for Gegard Mousasi as well. So an interesting conversation. Feel free to chime in at Anik Florian Pod as to who you think is the best UFC fighter to have never held an undisputed UFC title. All right. Well, you may have heard this Friday in Mexico City on the eve of UFC Fight Night. It is Karate Combat 44. And with us on the guest line, the president of Karate Combat, the CEO of Goat Shed, President Awesome himself, Awesome Zadie. I'm glad in our pre-meeting there I asked the pronunciation of your name name because I would have absolutely butchered that on live TV today. Great to see you, Awesome. How are you, brother? It's a pleasure, man. I just woke up actually, but I'm I'm hyped, man. My wife woke me up. She's like, What are you doing? You got John Anik right now. And I didn't even know Kenny Florian's here too. So geez, I'm, I'm happy. Well, hey, man, I am always looking for high energy people in my life, and you certainly qualify. I'd imagine some people butcher your name. Is that accurate or no? Oh yeah, definitely. It's all, all right. since I was since I was born, it was the same conversation. It's like, what's your name? I'm like, awesome. They're like, Asim. I'm like, no, awesome. They're like, awesome. I'm like, awesome. They're like, wow, that's awesome. I'm like, okay, <laughs> exactly. The same and same pre- conversation I've always had. Still. Yeah, well, and it's an appropriate name, even more than I thought prior. At president dot awesome on Instagram, if you want to follow this gentleman. But congratulations on what has been a huge couple years for you individually and for your endeavors. Karate Combat just has a ton of momentum right now. When did you first align with the organization and think that this could be something potentially big? Well, so what's really cool is that I started off as a coach, right? So I was coaching my fighter in the organization, and I was really so. Basically, my wife is a manager. She found an athlete from the mountains of Pakistan. This guy had no name behind him. And we started building his name here. We got him to America, and he fought and debuted in Karate Combat. So what intrigued the founders and the owners of Karate Combat was, look, nobody wanted to sign this guy because they thought he wasn't going to be that superstar. And when they finally signed him and they saw how much of recognition he got so quickly, they say, wait a minute. Okay, if Awesome and his team is, are able to do this to these new fighters to build their names so quickly, if he ran an organization, maybe he could do this for all of our fighters. That was that was the theory behind it, you know. So I started working behind the scenes, uh, helping with social media, helping with different things. But slowly, uh, actually not slowly, three days on the job, um, they offered me the position to become president. So uh, it, it was it was an honor. 
Uh, awesome. It seems like you got a great thing going, man. It's kind of like uh, a combination of like, you know, the, the, the movie vibe. And then you have these legit awesome strikers from all over the place, all different disciplines that are that are battling. And you're kind of bringing that uh, exciting aspect of mixed martial arts into just that striking. Like, um, what do you think it is that that is bringing that appeal to, to your event? Well, what's really cool is, look, they did the hardest part. The founders of the organizations did the hardest part. What's so cool about MMA is the cage is something very new and unique to MMA. When UFC hit the scene, the octagon was was theirs. Nobody else had that. And now every organization that comes after them sort of models their uh, their octagon, their cage, uh, like the UFC, right? So what we did was, or excuse me, the founders, they decided to create this pit. And it's amazing. You can immediately tell it's us every single social media clip, every video, you know, it's us. So right. the pit is something so unique and it's amazing because you can get this view, right? The cameras can see so easily. The spectators can watch the fights much easily. So um, I think it's something that pre- people really love and it gives that movie vibe that you're talking about. And you guys are, are really kind of signing bigger and bigger names, it seems, all the time. Obviously, there was the Benson Henderson, Anthony Pettis that was uh, not too long ago. Uh, and to see them kind of rekindle that rivalry was was really cool, man. All the fights that I've seen have been really exciting. Um, any plans for any more of those, those names on that level? Oh, definitely. You know, and we want to constantly be throwing that in. One, because those matches, those are my like dream matches, just me as a fan. Like I wanted to see uh, that that rematch because when they fought the first two times, the second time that armbar was so quick that it just it didn't uh, it didn't allow for the fans to really watch a fight. Though, so I wanted that trilogy personally. Also, you know, I'm sure other fans agreed. But we're gonna have a lot of big names. This event coming up right now, we got this guy Rafael Alves. He was in the UFC, and there was a lot yeah. of hype around him in the UFC. But the thing about MMA is there's so many ways to win. There's so many ways to lose. It gets complicated, right? The grappling is a big issue. And a lot of these athletes, maybe that's not their thing. So a guy like Rafael Alves, who's so athletic, you guys saw him when he fought Drew Dorber, uh, moving his head and, and all his viral moments in the UFC. Yeah. I really feel this sport is made for guys like that. You know, elite strikers that, that may not want to grapple. All right, so this Friday night, it starts with the Pit Submission Series, then the regularly scheduled Karate Combat, and then the finale, Influencer Fight Club. So you got a lot of different things going on Friday night. Yeah, Friday night is, is, is uh, it's going to be a rough night for us, you know? And then I'm cornering huh. the UFC the next day, my students fighting uh, the featured bout under the, the, under the championship fight. That's sort of, that's a big reason why I followed the UFC to Mexico, by the way. Um I, I started off as a coach, right? I got like 34 pros and I'm very loyal to my fighters. You know, I, I really sacrificed my life for them and uh, I didn't want to abandon them just because now I'm president of an organization. So I yeah. said, okay, guys, you're fighting in Mexico. I'll throw my event in Mexico the day before. <laughs> it really is amazing. And I actually have a few questions about you as a coach, uh, but I do think that this is a fitting role for you. However, it came about. I mean, it's sort of a fascinating backstory. Um, but Goat Shed, man, love the name. Give us a little history. Obviously, a lot of traction now in the UFC, but 30-plus pro fighters. Jillian Robertson, I believe, is training there full-time now. So uh, tell us a little bit about Goat Shed and your alignment and how that name was created as well, if you would. 
Okay, of course. Man, Gochi is actually a really intriguing uh, part of this whole story for a lot of people because we're a very controversial gym on social media. You know, we're constantly posting viral clips and different things like that. When I first opened up, I had absolutely no credibility, zero credibility. Why would anyone want to train with, with this bald-bearded brown dude? You know, like it just, <laughs> nobody wanted to train with me because I had no name behind me. You know, I was just some black belt in jiu-jitsu. And uh, basically, I opened up the gym and I'm like, okay, how can I hit the scene? So I started thinking of different ways to disrupt the industry and social media was it. So yeah, I started posting crazy controversial videos. And I mean, within uh, three months of opening, Joe Rogan started following, like a lot of big names started following. And I think they're all interested, like what's going on here. And our fighters, now here's the thing. I tell all my fighters when they join, I said, guys, I'll get the name behind you. I'll get the viewers. Uh, I'll make you guys popular. But if you lose your fight, you're just a famous loser. Like you got to win your damn fight. You know what I mean? Right. So we trained really hard while promoting well on social media. And these guys just kept winning and winning and winning. And right now we have a, a team record of 108 wins, 12 losses. So that's a right. 90% win ratio in the UFC. We're seven and one. So we're very new to the UFC, but we're doing yeah. good, you know? And um, when you combine the winning with all the madness on social media, you get the goat shed. It's amazing. So you're and you're cornering. Is it Christian Quinones this weekend? Who do you have this weekend? No, no, I have a uh, uh, Francisco Prado. He's fighting under the under Yair Rodriguez, right? He's fighting uh, Daniel Zellhuber. Oh, okay, I thought you said I knew about Francisco, but I thought you said the featured prelim because that's oh the feature bout on the main card is what you're talking about. Third from the last. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's yeah. a big fight, Third bro. Tell me a little bit about that. Ken Flo's going to have to make a fucking prediction on that fight <laughs> later today. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a really big fight for, for – it's a big fight for all of us. It's the biggest moment of our lives as martial artists right now because um, our team has never made it that high up on a UFC card. We've always been prelims. We, then we started doing main cards, but we've never been the featured bout on a main card. So this is a big moment for us. We decided to come out to uh, Mexico three weeks early uh, so, you know, to get used to the altitude. So I brought out my fighters. Uh, I, I paid for a house, a family taking care of us in Abuela. You know, uh, uh, we have uh, uh, the fathers driving us around. We're living with a family. It's pretty cool. We're showering with buckets. Uh, it's it's a it's a rough life in the village we decided to live in, but it's it's really great. So we had training camp there. The fighters are looking phenomenal. But what I have to say is this: Look, I don't think anyone emphasizes this enough. Elevation is terrible. It sucks. Yeah. These guys were gassing out in like one minute. It was terrifying. Like I, I remember texting my wife after the first sparring session. And I'm like, I'm like, babe, we got to pull these guys out. Like, I don't know what we're going to huh. do. We're going to lose. It's going to be a first round knockout for both of our fighters. Like we just can't survive this and turning white uh, in like two minutes of sparring. But I have to say, thank God we pushed them so hard. We took them to the mountains in the mountains. It's 22,000 feet elevation. Uh, we were running by the volcanoes. It was really cool. Um, and now they're ready to go. And I hate to make such a bold prediction uh, because, you know, I, I, my opponent or sorry, uh, Francisco's opponent is very good. We respect yeah. him. We like him a lot. But I'll say this. If it is a first round knockout, I would not be surprised. I wow. would not be surprised. I'm so glad you, you know, highlighted no the how good our opponent is, Francisco looks so wonderful. Our fighter looks so. Yes. Yeah, definitely. But the fighter looks so wonderful. He's ready. If I see a first round knockout, I will not be surprised. So he's 21 years old. How many of his 13 pro fights has he been with you for? 
he has been with us though. When he joined the UFC, he fought on uh I think he fought on like uh, five days notice in Australia against a very good athlete. I forgot his name. Um, but he lost a, a decision. He lost a decision against that guy. After that loss, he decided to join us. So he fought Otman uh, Azatar with us. And yep. he scored that first round knockout. Well, we're very excited for Francisco Prado taking on Daniel Zellhuber and Karate Combat 44 this Friday night. You can go to karate.com for details on how to watch the event for free in your region. So is Dean Thomas getting paychecks as like a broadcaster and a promoter? What's going on with Dino? Man, so look, uh, a lot of people don't know this. At the Goat Shed, Dean comes in 8 a.m. till 11 a.m. Monday to Friday, basically helping some of my athletes. You know, I give him a select few, the athletes that are actually focused and dedicated, and he helps them, you know, just from his heart. So Dean Thomas helps me a lot behind the scenes in Goat Shed, and um, he's sort of like a mentor of mine, um, and I really look up to the guy. So when I became president, I'm, I'm only 33 years old, even though I don't have a hair follicle left, but I'm, I'm huh. only 33 years old, so I'm a young president. I wanted somebody to look up to and to guide me through this process, so I asked Dean to come on board. So Dean's sort of helping me with fighter recruitment, making sure we sign the right athletes and and we cut the wrong athletes as well as um working through the pr and uh um, helping with the press conferences and all that stuff well that's great well that's uh, a great hire i'm just uh kidding our buddy and former ken flow victim dean thomas but awesome zadie if you want to follow him at president.awesome you can see karate combat this weekend best of luck with the goat shed man i hope to see you at one of these future live events best of luck with prado of course in the feature bout and uh we'll see you down the line my man Okay, it's a pleasure, man. Nice to talk to you guys. Thank you, brother. There Take he is. Awesome. President Awesome himself, Awesome Zadie, with us here on the Anakin Florian Podcast. It's pretty interesting, all the things they got going on. And I do believe that he's wise to sort of point to the octagon and the cage if you hearken back to the early days of the UFC. And this setting in which these athletes compete, I don't know if you've seen it with the slanted walls and everything else. It was pretty fascinating to watch Anthony Pettis and Benson Henderson get in there with uh with that type of uh playing surface, so to speak. Oh, definitely, man. Listen, I, I think he's carved out a really nice niche. Um, I, I've been watching, I've been very intrigued by by the event and uh wish him all the best. All right, well, you may have heard of Lucy. They're upping the nicotine pouch game with breakers. Pouches packing a little something extra inside. So what are Lucy, Lucy breakers exactly? Well, if you know your pouches, you know the nicotine doesn't hit immediately and neither does the flavor. Well, the geniuses at Lucy came up with a brilliant way to fix both problems. They put a mini liquid capsule inside each breaker's pouch. You grab a breaker's pouch, break the capsule. Yes, with your teeth. It actually makes a really satisfying pop. Put it in your lip and enjoy the immediate nicotine and flavor release. It is a new kind of pouch technology, and it's only available from Lucy. It is 100% pure nicotine, six delicious flavors, including unique ones like apple ice or espresso, and also some classics like mint or mango. So break up with your dusty gas station pouches, would you? And go to lucy.co slash afpod. Use promo code afpod. To get 20% off your first order, Lucy offers free shipping and has a 30-day refund policy if you happen to change your mind. That's lucy.co and use code AFPOD to get 20% off and always free shipping. And here comes the fine print. Lucy products are only for adults of legal age and every order is age verified. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. UFC Fight Night Moreno versus Roy Vault 2 back in Saturday night, Mexico City, Mexico. Let's get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. And the time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast.
All right, speaking of energy and big dick energy. <laughs> big on Brian Petrie with us for the main event challenge, as always, on social media at Brian Petrie MMA. Mommy! What's up? What's up? What's up, boys? Happy to How be here. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Feeling good. Feeling spry. Feeling good. So uh, can I quickly ask you about Ilya Topuria? I know we've had a few Wi-Fi issues today, so I'm won't to do so. But I need to ask your thoughts on the new Spaniard yeah. champion, if I could. Listen, I, I tweeted out one of the best performances for, for winning a title I've, I've probably ever seen. That's not Regency bias. The, what he he called his shot beforehand, and we all thought he was crazy. And it wasn't like Volk was off his game. Volk was on point. This kid is something special. Uh, I love the performance. I loved his attitude. I love his confidence. Uh, and he's going to be a problem moving forward. Like he, he's going to jump up the 55 and be a problem too. He's hmm. well built, well skilled. Uh, uh, future's bright, man. I'm excited for him. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe I'm not reading it well. And I, I'd like to get your guys' opinion on this because, you know, I, I see, I see the coach for Volkanovsky, uh, is it Joe Lopez? Yeah. Um, yeah. And he mentioned something about, you know, the knockout kind of referring to it almost like being a lucky punch, like, oh, he landed mm -hmm. that big shot and that was it. Do you think that's the right approach for Volkanovsky to hear it? it I don't know. Like, I, it, it can't, it's not that simple. And, and I, right. I don't know. Uh, no, I, I don't think it was a lucky punch. Volk was getting hit in that fight. Uh, right. Volk, his only real true offense besides the left hand was the kicks. And it was right. only a matter of time before closing the distance uh, to Porter's going to close the distance and catch him. And he hit him a few times and Volk was going back with his chin up a little bit. And yeah. um, that there, there's some things that need to be worked on, from my opinion. And I yes. hate the lucky, lucky punch narrative. I mean, listen, the guy threw it. He put it on your chin. Like, you know, Volkanovski's like, hey, I got caught. That's what happens, right? I don't like the coach going, ah, it's a lucky punch. He had a puncher's chance and he got it. Like, I, I don't like that narrative because Tapori has a hell of a lot more than a puncher's chance. Yeah, See, it, I just don't yeah. even think, though, that there's anything really to it. Like, I have to interject here because not to just come to Joe Lopez's defense, but, you know, for a lot of people, you say something and whatever is the most sensational of what you say ends up being the sure. headline and yeah. then him sort of saying things were going well until they weren't. And, you know, I'm, I don't believe he used the word lucky whatsoever. Right? right. And then it sort of becomes this story that I just think isn't anything like these are these are T crossers and fucking I daughters. And, um, you know, I just maybe they didn't fight. Maybe they're not owning it. Ken flow to the gr degree to which some people would like. But I I really think Joe, um, you know, when reflecting, wouldn't, you know, lean into that part of the statement at all. I think that's a, I think that's a more accurate take, John. I I think what's a more of a concern are two things, right? Is the fact that he's not acknowledging the fact that there was a technical error on the on the part of Volkanovski there of like, hey, we made a mistake, we're going to fix it. There there wasn't a whole lot of that talk. Um, but I agree also that he's not necessarily not, not necessarily saying it was a lucky punch. But I think the narrative for the Volkanovski fans is, is it's almost kind of leaning that way too, of like, ah, you know. Uh, Volk was winning that first right. round pretty right. easily, and then he landed that one shot, and that's right. like no, that that right. vulnerability right. was there. And mm -hmm. anyways, uh, perhaps well, no, we and actually, I have the quote right now, and it's a little bit more. Um, I don't know what the adjective, a little more concerning, I guess. Now we we knew coming into this fight, he had a puncher's chance, and he got that punch. Yeah, so I think Joe Lopez, if he could have that one back, he would yeah. say we all knew. Well, they didn't maybe know just how much of a challenge this was, but certainly he had Alexander Volkanovsky's attention beyond just having a puncher's chance. You know, I think they were worried about the power, but they were worried about the footwork and certainly 
you know, grappled to. Like, I, I, I mean, yeah. I certainly think their preparation would take on a different tone for the next meeting, but I don't know that they they took him lightly. Do you think they took him lightly, Kenny? I don't think they took him lightly, but I think <laughs> Elias, one of those dudes uh, who I think that like, you see his whole look and what he says, and you tend to draw attention to that. Kind of similar to Connor, not as much, mm-hmm. right? Because Connor was like so over the top, especially at the time when he came into the game, where you're like, this dude's legitimately crazy. Like, there's <laughs> no way he's actually that good of a fighter, right? right? But lo and behold, he actually was. And here he was kind of creating this facade or maybe creating this image of like, hey, I'm this crazy guy and I talk a lot. I know how to promote fights. Um, and it, it tends to distract from the fact that this dude is an amazing fighter. And I think mm-hmm. Ilya kind of has that same thing. I know he's done that kind of throughout his career. And um, yeah, I, I think he's just so well prepared and so well rounded, well, more than well rounded, dangerous in all areas. And um, I think it, it's easy to kind of forget. And also based on everything Volk did in that division, you're like, well, you know, surely he's going to go out there and take care of business. And it, it's. I think both things can be true that you don't necessarily take them lightly, but at the same time, you don't really know how good that damn fighter is. And I think Ilya is somewhere in between that. I think, Bri, that Israel Adesanya and Alexander Volkanovsky are sort of in similar positions where it's okay mm-hmm. if the belt in that division is now defended against someone that is not them. Right. But the possibility remains that in all likelihood, their next fights are going to be for the belt. I know there's some rumblings that maybe Hamzat Chimaev and Adesanya are going to fight in Saudi Arabia in a non-championship setting. Uh, that's news to me. But, right. Bri, don't you feel like Volkanovski, because of his star power, how big a rematch would be with Topuria? Like, I feel like his next fight is going to be for the title, even if Ilya defends against Ortega or Yair or Max or somebody else first. Yeah, I mean, listen, unless so, like unless Max blows the doors off Gaethje or Yair and Ortega have a career performance, I, I see Volk getting the next shot. Hopefully it is in Spain. Hopefully that's cool. That's a new territory. That's fun. That's unique. Volk wants to go in enemy territory. And I don't think the answer to your question, yes, Kenny, I don't think Volk's team overlooked Torporia or knew, didn't know how good Torporia was. I just think they know how good their guy is. Right. And I think they're like. Our guy's got it. He's in shape, mentally strong. We, you know, we're taking care of business. They're great coaches. They always have great game plans. It's just you ran into a buzzsaw that night. That is Alirio Teporia. Um, but I think Volk should get the next shot. I think he's earned it. Yeah. But I wouldn't be surprised if he gets leapfrogged by, like, say, Max Holloway becomes BMF. That's interesting to me. Uh, and, and what, did, go ahead, Ken Flo. I was going to say, and I, I'd be curious to hear both of you guys' thoughts. But do you think he came back too early after the knockout? Because that, obviously, that was the that was uh, you know kind of the criticism or the concern for a lot of people was, hey, man, is he coming back too early off of this knockout from Mahashev? Did it affect him mentally or or, or even physically? Right, I'm, I'm not never, smart enough, Brian, to know. <laughs> you know I, I've I've never been knocked out, so I don't know. And I'm not a fighter, obviously, so I don't know the ramifications from that. I just hear from people. I know Chris Curtis got knocked out his first amateur fight, and he came back like two weeks later. And everyone in the gym's like, what the fuck are you doing? You're an amateur. What are you doing this for? Mm. So it's a kind of a different beast from everybody. I mean, obviously, you hear people talk about it, and you kind of see like once a guy gets chin, though, it happens. And I don't want to reference yeah. the Hall of Famer, but Frank Yeager was always so durable. And then he got clipped that one time and got put out. And all of a sudden, it kind of was a chain reaction. And that happened in his later 30s as well. So it is something that we see in the sport that is definitely 
we all say it when we cap fights and stuff, but it is holds true sometimes. So I would say yes. Uh, I, I think he came back a little too soon. E- even Aldo after the Conor McGregor knockout. Yeah, yeah right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's certainly harder to dismiss it as a narrative now after this result. So anybody who was leaning into that, and even Ilya Topodia in my sit down with him suggested that uh, this was a good time for him to be fighting Volk because of uh, that knockout loss. So we'll see what happens. We'll see how long Topodia will be shelved for and how quickly they can get a venue in Spain. I think that's really the big factor. I don't think they want to sit Ilya for six or seven months necessarily, but Volk did hint at maybe some time off. And uh, in a perfect world for Volkanovsky, I think you still fight Topodia. You still are next, but it's at least six months away. Um, Quickly, Bri, before we move on, I just wanted to ask you about Mackenzie Dern and Amanda Lemos, but Dern specifically, because fan base loves her. She makes a lot of money, as was disclosed Mm -hmm. by the California State Athletic Commission, and she probably makes more than that. I don't believe those numbers in totality, but... She deserves to, right? Like fans Mm -hmm. really love her. When I ask the question, who's your favorite fighter? You know, tons of responses on Mackenzie Dern. Puts Mm -hmm. on a show, win or lose. Not the perfect fighter, but she's got a lot to like. And I do think that, uh, you know, I I just love her stepping up here on short notice relatively, taking on the number three fighter in the world, rallying through adversity and having Mm -hmm. her moments. Yeah, you said it best. I mean, listen, Mackenzie Dern's a fucking savage, right? She's beautiful. She does interviews where she's she's lovely. She's funny. She's she's cheerful. She's always smiling, but a fucking savage. And coming back and almost winning that fight after getting beat up the way she did just proved the heart. We all knew she was tough. We all we all talk about her. Yeah, she's great on the ground, and yeah, she's she's pretty, but she's tough. She's a fighter. And um, yeah, I was thoroughly impressed. I I had money on Lemos. But I, you know, and I'm a fan of Dern and uh, I, I was kind of rooting for Dern to come back and win that because w- w- imagine the scenes of that. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But uh, it was an incredible performance by her. I, I think she deserves every penny that she makes. Um, and uh, hopefully, you know, she just in- continues to get better with her. You know, her takedowns look pretty good. She landed a nice, some, some nice takedowns, which is really nice to see for maybe the future. Did you see Mackenzie's reaction? Seems like Amanda and Mackenzie maybe have a similar sound yeah, at the beginning that. there. Yeah. Hands in the air. Yeah, I saw she that. She thought she won. She thought yeah. she won. All right, pronunciation of the week for UFC Fight Night Moreno versus Roy Vall 2. So if you get this name right, I'll grow out my hair. And people know <laughs> how <laughs> reluctant I am to do that. So this is tough. Yeah. She's coming off her first pro loss, but according to some, remains one of the top strawweight prospects in the UFC, and she'll put that very status on the line this Saturday night against Sam Page Hughes in Mexico City, Bri. What are you talking about, kid? So this isn't a bit. I just can't. Pro- I do this on my own podcast. And when I pronounce this woman's name last time, people thought I had a learning disability. Okay. They were, <laughs> they were worried about my boy. Uh, and I have not. I, I've tape studied her, but I haven't like practiced or anything. Um, so buckle up, boys. I'm going to go Yasmin Yaragui. It's not bad, kid. I mean, it's I'm not, not growing not my hair. It's not bad. It's not bad. Uh, <laughs> Cody, trigger that file if you would. My name is Yasmin Jauregui. My name is Jasmine Howry. Howry. It's Howry. So do you need to hear it again, Ken Flo? Oh, I thought it was Howry. (laughs) All right. It's three syllables, Cody. Bang it again if you would. My name is Jasmine Howry. My name is Jasmine Howry. I see. I hear Howry for some reason, but maybe I'm... So... You know, not to belabor it, but, you know, you're just emphasizing the how. Mm-hmm. So that's the syllable you punch, Brucey. How, Ricky. <laughs> and then we have one more file, Bri. 
Yeah. So who's Brandon Moreno fighting this weekend, Bri? Brandon Raw Dog Royval. Let's go. I don't even need the file. I don't even need the file. I mean, we can hear the file, but Royval historically yeah. has been a very difficult name. And again, we're talking syllabic emphasis. Brandon mm -hmm. Royval. We're emphasizing the Roy, not Royval. And the Raw Dog nickname stays. Mm -hmm. uh, Cody, let's bang the file since we have it. That's Canada. <laughs> Nailed that. Brandon Rawdog Royval. Brandon Rawdog Royval. And the overriding point here is practice. If you mm -hmm. say Royval 15, 20 times, you'll commit it to memory. All right. Today's main event challenge is presented by DraftKings. Stay tuned because you'll hear more about DraftKings and all it has to offer throughout the show. DraftKings, the crown is yours. All right, UFC Fight Night Moreno versus Roy Vall, too. First fight for us, the main card opener at lightweight. Tijuana's Manuel Torres, minus 162. Chris Duncan, plus 136. Torres has won five in a row, 2-0 in the UFC. Came off season five at Dana White's Contender Series. Taking on Scotland's Duncan. He twice competed on the Contender Series, also 2-0 in the UFC. So, Bryce, something's got to give here. You like Manuel Torres, the favorite, or Chris Duncan, the dog? This has potential to be just a bang a bang fest. However, Chris Duncan's last two fights has landed seven takedowns. He's kind of ushered away from the Scottish brawler that we saw in the contender series. He got knocked out, almost got knocked out by Ray Longo's guy, Charlie Campbell, and then came back and somehow won that fight. But he's 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 evolving his transition to be a full mixed martial artist. And good thing, because he's fighting Manuel Torres, who can bang. This dude has put everyone out. Big, big power. I like his technique. I like his frame. He's athletic. Um, the thing is, is, you know, the number doesn't scare me at minus 185. I am picking Torres, but the, the one thing that bothers me is we haven't seen enough of him, right? Chris Duncan now is evolving his game, landing takedowns. Is that going to play a factor in Torres? I want to load up on Torres, but it's burned me in the past of a guy who, you know, his competition has been a little thin. He's coming off three knockouts. That's great. Can he make it four? I think he can. Chris Duncan has been knocked out before. But it, it just throws a pause at me because I don't know his overall game uh, yet. Has some good wins on his record, but I like Torres by knockout here. Hopefully he uh, sets that Mexico, uh, Mexico City crowd on fire. Manuel Torres right now minus 162 on DraftKings Sportsbook. The comeback on Chris Duncan plus 136. Cam, flow your thoughts. Yeah, man, it's going to be hard to, hard to beat a Mexican fighter in Mexico. But, um, you know, Chris Duncan is evolving into more of a wrestler, and he kind of looks like one, right? He's stocky. He's got that build. Also has power as well, especially if he's able to kind of get you up against the fence. He feels more comfortable comfortable there. We'll throw combinations from that position. So I think Torres has to watch out as well. However, I agree with you, Brian. I think Torres is the more potent striker. He hit one of the most... I, I, beautiful elbow knockouts that I've mm -hmm. seen in UFC history. He just landed all of it. Uh, so it, it takes a, a heck of a lot of timing to be able to do that. Uh, he, he definitely is a banger, loves to go out there and trade, wants to knock out his opponents. Wouldn't be surprised if he was able to do it. He's tall, lanky for the division, has a lot of different tools, uh, not just his hands. He can elbow knock you out, his knees, his kicks. So I, I'm curious to see how Duncan deals with that range and all those tools. Um, I, I think it's a little bit closer than people think, but uh, I, I'm leaning the way of Torres as well. Every time I bring up Saturday Night Live, I date myself as someone who was born in the 1970s. But Ken mm -hmm. you got to remember the Mike Myers skit. Welcome to all things Scottish. If it's not Scottish, yeah. it's crap. Yeah. Every time a Scottish guy fights, Bri. Every time yeah. a Scottish guy fights. That's all I, I hear you. All right. It's Strawweight. The aforementioned Jasmine Howrigi, minus 535. 
Sam Hughes plus 400. So the Mexican Jauregui stopped by Denise Gomes last July at UFC 290. Still just 24. Now facing Fortis MMA's Sam Hughes. Now, she's an interesting case because she's had a lot of developmental time in the UFC. Three and four in the octagon. Coming off a big win over Jackie Amarim at UFC 287 last April. Then she was going to face Lupe Godinez at Noche UFC last September. She was a big underdog there, but was forced to withdraw. And now another widespread here, Bri. Your thoughts on Jasmine Hauregui, minus 535 versus Sam Hughes, plus 400. Sam Page, baby. Sam Page is, she's interesting because she's burned me a lot in the past. And I love uh, I love her at Fortis MMA. She's, she's grown as a fighter there. Even the losses since she's been there have been com- close, competitive. She's so hard. Uh, she's won as an underdog before. This is a huge number. Right. And your boy, your boy likes to play big numbers. Your boy likes to gamble, likes to roll the dice a little bit. However, Howard Gee, I think, I mean, coming besides the fact that she just got starked, sparked out by Denise Gomes, Gomes, um, she didn't land a strike in that fight. Right. But she's, she's a legit, legit fighter. Her striking is good. It's fast. Uh, Yasmin Lucindo, her debut in the OC was one of the, Top female fights I've seen in a long time. Um, so I'm going to go Howardy here. I don't love it. It's a scary, scary number. Anytime you get north of 400 for me, it's scary. She will not be in any of my placer bets. I can assure you of that. I'm steering clear of a parlay piece as well because Sam Page can ex- can surprise. Um, but give me Howardy. I'm not comfortable. So I'm going to take Howardy. But you're very comfortable pronouncing the name. Nicely done. Hey, right hey. over there. Kenflo, Howardy Hughes. What do you think about this one? Yeah, listen, I think Hauregui is just way more skilled, uh, to be honest, than Hughes. Uh, Hughes can pose some problems for sure. She is very tough, very hard to put her away. I just think that the, like, uh, the comfort on the feet from Hauregui, it, it just seems that she's more willing to throw combinations and put those things together. And when you're talking about uh, women in, in this division that tend to go to decision, uh, volume is definitely going to play a factor in winning some of those rounds. And um, I, I, again, just all of the pride that she fights with representing Mexico, all that. So I think she's going to be at her best. I think she's training extremely hard for this. Not, not to say Hughes is not, but I just think at the end of the day, how how is going to be the more skillful fighter, um, and the more active fighter when it comes to volume on the feet. And, um, I, I think she gets it done here. But yeah, I agree with Brian. With Brian, like the the odds um, are are a little little scary there. All right, next fight for us, fellas, on the main card at bantamweight. One of the brightest prospects in MMA, the now nineteen year old Raúl Rosas Jr. Modest two sixty five. Ricky Tercios plus two fifteen. Great fight here. Rosas mm-hmm. Jr. two and one in the UFC after a stoppage win of Terence Mitchell last September. That was Noche UFC. Tercios, tough season 29, Bantamweight winner. Kind of the forgotten man, though. Hasn't fought since November of 2022. Huge opportunity, Bri, for Tercios here as he takes on the highly touted Rosas Jr. Who do you have? Yeah, so I've never, I haven't been big on Rosas Jr. I, I like the fact that he, uh, it's incredible what he's done. Debut 17, all that stuff. But I just felt like he needed room to grow. He got out man by C-Rod for sure. But against Tercios here, I think he just I think he wins this fight pretty easily. Tercios is a is a is a scrambling wild man who doesn't get tired, lands a, a ton of strikes, has several fights over 110, 111, 112 uh significant strikes landed. The guy is all action, but he gets taken down quite a bit. Six times, seven times, five times in UFC. And that's where Hosas Jr. wants to do. He wants to get you to the ground. He's good in the scrambles. 
Um, and I think he's going to take him down, dominate. I don't see a finish happening, but I see this being a good a good performance for Haas Jr. here. He's going to move on. He's going to get another dub and uh, another call out. Hopefully, get his mom another minivan. Uh, you know that's what he did last time when he went in Vegas when I was there. So uh, I like this spot for him. This is good matchmaking for him. Kempfo, Raul Rosas Jr. minus two sixty five this weekend. Ricky Tercios plus two fifteen. I love how Brian just turned Raul Rosas into <laughs> Brazilian. Like it says Rosas. It doesn't matter. I don't care. You're Brazilian now. Okay, that's what I'm calling you. Um, no, listen. I, I think uh, I I couldn't agree more with Brian here. I think it's uh, very astute uh, observations. I, I think that Tercios gives up takedowns and gives up position way too much and. Yes, he's a wild man, which makes him dangerous, but I don't see him being like a, a crazy potent striker. And I think Rosas is going to find a way to get in on those legs, outposition him, and potentially submit him. Now, um, you know, everyone looks at like belt rankings and things like that. Throw that out the window. A lot of times you can kind of throw it out the window unless they have some high level pedigree as far as being a world champ or ADCC champ, this and that. Like I know Turcios is, is, is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, but I just don't see him being at what I consider a high level Brazilian, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. And Rosas might be like a purple belt or something, but I think from a grappling perspective, Rosas is way more dangerous. I think this is a great fight for him. Um, odds wise, I, I think that's a little juicy for those guys that are putting bets out. So, um, I like Rosas here as well. And don't forget on the back end of the show, place your bets thousand dollars a piece for Ken Flo and BP. That brings us to a featured bout at lightweight. Talked about this one a little bit earlier with awesome Zadie, who will be in the corner of Francisco Prado. He's a plus two twenty five underdog here against Daniel Zell Huber, minus two seventy eight. So two straight wins for Zell Huber since he lost his UFC debut to Trey Ogden. Great performance at Noche UFC in front of a lot of supporters. He submitted Christos Yagos, now facing the Argentine Prado, 21 years old, 12-1, and one, stopped Otman Azaitar last July, Bri. What a mm-hmm. fight here, potentially at lightweight. Who do you have? Yeah, I love this fight. This is going to be, I think, maybe one of the best fights in the card. I think this card's a great card. A lot of really it good is. competition. Uh, Prado's are got, you know, Argentinian guys... For every Santiago Ponsonibio, you get you you don't get a very good guy. You get a guy who likes to bang them out. They have that jungle fight down there. They don't produce a ton of talent. But I've watched film on this guy, and I like Prado a lot. I think he has skills on the ground. His record's weak before coming in the UFC. He debuted against Jamie Malaki. Looked pretty good. Um, he did. But yeah, but you know, and he's and he's put it together. He's he's a solid, solid prospect. Zell Huber. Come out of the contender series, everyone was crowning this guy the next year, the next, this is the guy. And then just a complete flat performance against Trey Ogden, who Trey Ogden is more of a grappler, outstruck Zell Huber. Zell Huber's stuck in mud. Yes, it's rebounded well. I'm not going to hold that against them. But when you're coming, you're coming at me and I'm making picks, I can't go LeBron James chalk the whole time. You know what right. I mean? I got to mix in some dogs. So I'm going to go Prado, Prado here. I think this is going to be a scrap. I really do. I think it's going to come down to if uh, Zell Huber is on, if he's not on, I think the Mexico City crowd can make him on. But Prado does have that dog. He's got a great chin in him, does have some good submissions on his record. It can scrap himself. Doesn't have the knockout power that I would like, but I think he can win a decision here. Uh, all out violence in this fight. I love it. Kemflo Prado, six wins by knockout, six by submission. On the other side, Zell Huber, 10 finishes in his own right. Great feature bout here at 55. Who do you have? Yeah, Brian's leaving me nothing, kid. He's leaving me nothing. He's taking all the analysis over here. No, I think it's spot on, dude. I think that Zell Huber, sometimes uh, he'll look a little flat. And 
Um, I think volume can be a problem uh, for him. I, I think he needs to use that range, that lankiness here against Prado to keep him on the outside. He's got to be sharp. He's got to be able to stop those takedowns as well. I know Zell Huber is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, but Prado is a problem on the ground, man. He stays extremely active. He's got excellent ground and pound. He's very aggressive, always trying to advance position and hurt you. But honestly, I'm not touching this one. Um, I, I could see both guys winning. I could see Zell Huber by decision. I could see Prado maybe by finish. Um, he's going to have to get on the inside, land one of those big shots. I think he's capable of doing that. Uh, but for me, uh, I'm not touching this. You won't see me uh, make a prediction on this or have it in, in any of my bets here. I think it's very, very close. All right, let's leave with Ken Flo on the co-main event here to make sure there's some meat on the uh, rib bone. Yeah. Rematch at featherweight, top flight contenders here. Yair Rodriguez, minus 166. Brian Ortega, plus 140. So Yair Rodriguez, one of the most electric fighters in the game, former interim champ, but coming off a loss to Volk in that title unification bout. That was UFC 290 last July. Ortega's an interesting case because largely he's been inactive since his title shot against Volk. That was UFC 266, September of 2021. He has fought just four minutes and 11 seconds in the roughly three years since that title fight. And that was the fight against Yair Rodriguez on ABC, July 2022, injured his shoulder. Now the rematch can flow once again a title eliminator and once again five rounds, albeit in a co-main event at altitude Brian Ortega, the underdog. Yeah, you're Rodriguez, the favorite. Kenny Florian, your mic is hot. Yeah, man, this is a great fight, and I'm so glad that they're putting this one together again. Um, you know, it is not easy coming back after a long layoff, especially when you're dealing with a bunch of injuries. You know, just getting over that physical hurdle, that mental hurdle, can be a big problem for a lot of guys. Now, Ortega isn't your regular dude. He has proven his toughness time and time again. However, when, when I look at momentum, Right. When, if you're a fighter and you're coming back after that long layoff, you actually want to you at least want to be able to lean on something. Now, for Ortega, uh, great dude, but he's one in three in his last four fights. And he's going against a guy in the Ayer Rodriguez who gets off to a hot start. Like not a whole lot of guys start as quickly as Rodriguez. Like he will throw all of his moves at you in the first three minutes. And you're like, what the hell is this tornado uh, of, of technique here? Um, and I think it was kind of going that way early uh, as well in that first fight. Ortega tends to build and get stronger as the fight goes on. He kind of finds his rhythm, and then once he's in his rhythm, he tends to look better and better. Um, but Rodriguez is gaining a ton of experience, and I I don't think there's a time, you know, it, it, maybe the Volkanovski fight aside, where I haven't seen him better than he was before. Uh, Rodriguez is constantly getting better. He's constantly adding new tools to the toolbox, um, whether it's his wrestling, his jujitsu, uh, his striking. I mean, this dude is a problem, man. He's extremely fast. He was landing uh, a lot early on against Ortega and, and then hit that you know, arm lock, which ended up separating the shoulder of Ortega there. Uh, very unfortunate for Brian. And, you know, uh, that was that was kind of flukish. Um, you know, luck does play a part sometimes in fights. I, I do think while Yair was looking for that arm lock, it was just kind of a weird position and Ortega kind of separated his shoulder. The fight was over. So I don't know. I, I think for Ortega, it all comes down to his takedown game, man. If he can get Rodriguez down to the mat, he submits Rodriguez. No question about it. This is why this fight is so tricky. But if it stays on the feet and if Rodriguez is, if his takedown game is able to hold up, I see Rodriguez, um, not only stopping those takedowns, but 
hurting Ortega often, and he could definitely finish this one on the feet as well. Um, so I don't know. Ortega has a chin from hell, but how long does that last? And um, if Rodriguez is able to be uh, consistent, land those shots, you know, stay disciplined, not get too crazy. Um, I, I think he can win this, but it all comes down to the takedown game of Ortega. And um, again, the fact that he hasn't been so so active the last couple of years is a concern for me. So uh, I have to go with Rodriguez here. Brian T. City just one win since he knocked out Frankie Edgar memorably back in 2018. And that was the decision over the Korean zombie on Fight Island, October 2022. Big time rematch in the featherweight division could be a title fight at stake for the winner. Who do you have? Yair Rodriguez, Brian Ortega. Huge fight. This fight became even bigger after this past weekend yeah. because one of these guys, yeah, you're talking a little bit of shit to Foria Ortega, good looking kid. People, they want to promote him one and three. He's still getting co-main events and stuff. Um, Ortega is an interesting guy because he's cashed a lot as, as a guy who, who's getting the shit kicked out of him most of the fight. And he'll land something big. You you look at his his stats against these guys. He's getting outstruck. He's getting outworked. And then he lands something, right? So it's it's always interesting playing him as an underdog because you have that shot. So I recommend anybody playing Ortega, just play him by submission. You're going to get a better plus the money. However, I'm, I'm on Yair Rodriguez here. I think the first fight proved how fast he was, how slick he was. Like, Kenny nailed it. He's getting better. The vault, He's so mentally strong. The vault fight that he lost, he just regrouped and rebuilt it, and he's going to come back. It's not like a step back for him. You know, this is a big fight for him. Now that Torpuri is the champion, he goes, shit, I'm licking my chops. I could be next up. Let's promote it. Spain versus Mexico. That's fun. Um, and I just think Yair's is a better fighter. I really do. I, I think, you know, his takedown offense is a little bit questionable. I think Ortega's wrestling is a little bit questionable. So that's going to come into play here. But I also think just the striking and the speed of Yair is just going to be too much for Ortega, who hasn't been in there. Striking is all about timing. Um, and I don't love where Ortega's training at, that Southern California. Who's he training with? Who, who's his coaches, right? You know, there's not many people coming out of there that are very successful right now. I know he's a great jujitsu coach. But who's the sparring partners? Because sparring helps you with your timing when you've been off for so long and you're going against a guy like Yair, you're not going to find many training partners that fight like Yair. However, you can at least get some of the speed and timing down. And I don't think he's going to have that. I think Yair is going to jump on him. I think Yair first round will be interesting because Ortega is notoriously durable. But a first round plus money, you know, I'm willing to dance with that. But I like Yair big here. Um, it, it, you know, I'm very bullish on this line. I'm, I'm surprised it's not higher. Um, but yeah, give me a year. All right. Main event could determine the next flyweight challenger for the champion, Alessandre Pantoja. And you got to think they want Pantoja to defend his title in Rio on May 4th. Needs a dance partner to that end. Brandon Moreno, modest 270. Brandon Royval, plus 220. And of course, he has fought these guys successively. Pantoja mm -hmm. has as well. So who knows? I mean, Amir Albazi with a serious neck injury pulling out of this fight has major consequences in this division. As for this fight, Moreno, Royval, second meeting. First one, UFC 255, UFC Apex, November 2020. And most of you would remember Royval sort of valiantly fighting through an injury, but the end came 459 around one. And then Moreno famously turning around, fighting Davison Figueredo to a draw in a title fight three weeks later. Feels like some unfinished business here, Brian Petrie. Mm -hmm. Your thoughts on the main event here at Flyweight. Former champ Brandon Moreno taking on Brandon Royval. 
I love what the UFC did. Co-main event, main event had, were ended essentially by injuries, like taking nothing away from the winners. But these are really smart, good rematches that we need. Uh, Raval looked uh, just okay against Pantoja. I love the chaos he brings. And I felt like he just didn't bring enough chaos. I think he was worried about his cardio. Got taken down a lot. Didn't really do much off his back. There was a couple of times where he could have he could have got out of there and people would have never faulted him. He fought through that. He showed some heart. Um, but he needs to ramp up the chaos because I think Moreno is better everywhere. But in those exchanges, in those clinches, a spinning elbow, a jumping knee, something out of the ordinary, maybe to clip Moreno, put him down and, and, and then take advantage. I think that's what Roy Vall is going to need here. Moreno, I think, is underrated as a grappler. I think he's underrated as a wrestler. He held Pantoja in great. That was a very close fight when they fought. I would love to see a rematch. I mean, Pantoja is like his his thorn. He's beat him three times now. We're really going to see a fourth fight. I know the one was on the ultimate fighter, but are we going to see a fourth fight? I think if Moreno shows up, beats Royval, finishes Royval, then yes, we're going to see a fourth fight, uh, 125 with Abazi being out. You got Manel Cop in the wings as well. Um, but you need, you need someone to fight Pantoja who wants to stay active. They need a Rio card. I like Moreno here. I like Moreno to control everything. Um, and he can't get sucked into the chaos. That control chaos by Royval is going to be a problem. And I think if you stay tight, land your takedowns, dominate on top, your boxing's better, your pressure's better, and I think his cardio is better, and he's been in more five-round fights. I like Moreno here, and I hope he gets a finish because, again, I just love seeing a really good crowd reaction. The Mexico City crowd is passionate, and uh, I, want, I want them to blow the roof off this place. Nicely done with the handicap, but you're back to butchering Roy Vol. You know that, right? I did what? Yeah, you twice. You said Roy Vol. We're trying to emphasize the Roy. <laughs> Just trying to help the viewership. <laughs> Brandon Royval. I'm just messing with you. Uh, All right. Kenny, interesting comments from Brandon Royval after the title fight against Pantoja. Leading in, he was preaching patience and then sort of intimated that kind of got caught up in that and away from his style. I feel like Brandon Royval has to fight bad out of hell as if like he's double parked outside. What are your thoughts on him here at a huge spot against Brandon Moreno? Yeah, man, I, I think that's an interesting point, right? Because you don't want to get too far away from who you are. And I think that uh, perhaps that hurt him in that last fight against Pantoja. And the way I see it, it's basically like the fundamentals, the consistency of Moreno versus the chaos of Roy Vol. So, yeah, did I say that right? Roy, Roy, Roy yep. Vol? Roy, okay. So, oh, um, yeah, man, I, I think that uh, this is going to be a very interesting fight. I think it's going to be a very exciting fight as well. And now, for, for Royval, I think he's got to be able to manage those emotions at the same time, though. It being a main event in Mexico, this is a big deal. And for Moreno, this is clearly a big deal. And I think that Moreno's one of those guys who definitely has become this big game player. When the lights are brightest, I think that's when we see Moreno at his best. Um, and so I'm curious to see how Royval like deals with this, right? And how well he's able to um fight uh in in Moreno's backyard um but when when I'm looking at a fight it doesn't matter who it is what the name is for the most part I'm always going to lean on someone who is consistent and relies on those fundamentals um and and, and Royval could finish this fight no question about it I think he's that dangerous uh so Moreno's going to have to definitely mind his p's and q's um but yeah I, I think Moreno is going to be able to get it done here um, like, like Brian said, uh, great breakdowns yet again, dude, let me bang, bro. Um, <laughs> I think that, um, you know, it's gotta be the, the full mixed martial arts arsenal for Moreno. He can't just fight him one way. He's got to keep Royval like guessing, keeping him like, you know, change the fight, 
bring it to the ground, keep it on the feet, like mix things up. Anytime Royval wants to do something, he has to do the opposite. So, and I think Moreno has the intelligence and the MMA IQ to be able to do that. So I like Moreno here uh, in this spot. Nice. All right, we'll see where the number closes right now. Brandon Moreno is minus 270 on DraftKings Sportsbook. All right, time for Place Your Bets, brought to you by JohnAnik.com. Get 20% off your order with code One More Sleep. So Petrie was at plus 97.46 going into UFC 298. You go two and two on your bets. Nice parlay on Lemos and Marab. That paid at plus 166, so $300 paid for 98.84. You did lose straight wagers on Paolo Costa and Alexander Volkanovsky for a total of minus 500, but you snuck the fluffy Kopalov over one and a half rounds home. That was a $200 bet at minus 160, so that paid you 125. And it means your weekly total is in the black, plus 123.84 year to date for Petrie, plus 221 and 30 cents. Chem flow was minus 410.68. You hit a $250 straight bet on Amanda Lemos at minus 130. That paid you 192. You hit a $250 straight bet on Ian Machado Gary. That paid you 108. Lost straight on Henry Cejudo for 250. You lost straight on Volkanovsky for 150. And you hit three of your four legs on your parlay, but there was no round robin, which means it's a loss. That included Anthony Fluffy Hernandez. Volk was in there too. Uh, minus 100 on the parlay. Weekly total minus 198.99. You are minus 609.67, and through five live events, Petrie leads this pig by $830.97. All right, Brian, how are you spending your 1K on UFC Fight Night Moreno versus Roy Ball 2? So I, uh, you know, I've been doing this long enough to know if you don't love the board, you you don't want to overload it. Sometimes you you force things. I got two bets here. I'm using my 1,000, though. I got Manuel Torres by knockout. Prop is not available on DraftKings. I will get you that prop, that number later this week. And then an 800 whack on Moreno, Yair Rodriguez, Parlay. Viva la Beca, go! Brandon Moreno, Yair Rodriguez, Parlay for 800, and then 200 on Manuel Torres by knockout. And then the 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 parlay number I got from DraftKings Sportsbook was plus one twenty one, Johnny. Just as, as of today. All right. Well, I will cross check it. But what I okay. am giving you is the numbers that we use on the show, which would be Moreno okay. minus two seventy and Yair Rodriguez minus one sixty six. So I'll throw that okay. into a parlay car- calculator. It'll probably be very close to that. All right, Kenny Florian, uh, you have a thousand dollars if you so choose. Where are you placing your bets? Yeah, I'm going to try to use it all, man. I need the points, clearly. Um, I- I'm going to put uh, 300 on Rodriguez. Okay. I'm going to put 400 on Rosas. <laughs> and 400 then, on Rosas Jr. Yes, sir. And then uh, I got a couple parlays here. I, I want to do uh, $100 on Rosas, Rodriguez, and Moreno. <laughs> okay. And then uh, 200 uh, How do we? Rosas, and Rodriguez. Oh, nice. I'm losing my mind over here. <laughs> Classic. All right. So a $300 straight on Yaya Rodriguez, $400 straight on Raul Rosas Jr. And then parlays tied to those two guys as well, but one with Moreno and one with Howergy. And yes. there you have it. All right, Brian Petrie at Brian Petrie MMA. Appreciate the extended time today, my brother. Have a great week and uh, we'll talk to you on Monday, kid. You guys are the best. I'll see you. All right, that's it for Place Your Bets. And that's going to do it for a busy week here on the Anakin Florian Podcast. Don't forget, you can check out our UFC 298 recap in full on the DraftKings YouTube channel. Clips on the Anakin Florian Podcast YouTube channel as well. And uh, we appreciate every last one of you supporting the show and subscribing to the show. It truly means a lot to uh, to all of us 
making this uh, a weekly passion project. So thank you guys. We will talk to you next Monday. Thanks to our executive producer, Cody Merrill. Thanks to awesome Zadie. Thanks to Brian Petrie. And thanks most of all to, uh, you know, the best fighter to have never fought for an undisputed, or who to have never won, I should say, an undisputed title, <laughs> Kenny Florian. For him, I'm John Anik. We'll talk to you next week. Until then. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.